let's see what's going on. I'll be in the, the Nixon Center. Uh, we'll be doing a Bible study in there, more small group style, and Brandon will be here teaching and preaching. So on the count of three, you can be released voluntarily. Everybody well? Here, looking for a response. Everybody doing well? All right. Are you ready to engage with the Holy Spirit and His Word? That's what we need. All right, would you, uh, I think we need to stand up, don't you, Derek? <laughs> it's Wednesday night, the middle of the week, long days. I get all of that really well, so. Let's lift our hands and let's engage with the Lord. Father, we come here not to have a church service. We come here not to fulfill a duty. We come here to meet with you and to be encountered by your word. We ask you now, O oh Holy Spirit, teacher of the church, we ask you now to make Jesus more real to us. We ask you to take the words that you have breathed from your very heart into this book and given it to us as a gift we ask you to take those words and to plant them deep inside of us. Let us not um, leave this place unimpacted by your word. But I pray every person, every person would be impacted by your words as you plant the eternal seed inside of us. And may it produce much fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. James chapter 3. This passage... Um, we're going to try to go through verses 1 through 12. I said try. Um, I think we will. This, this passage, um, if, if you've been reading through James at all with us, you, you know that James is like a no-nonsense sort of a guy, right? He's, he, he's not what we would call sensitive. He tells it like it is. He speaks the truth directly with force and he expects his hearers to receive it and follow it. So I'm going to say that this passage of Scripture today is, is kind of like a good massage. So just recently I had my first professional massage, really, because I have hurt my shoulders for so many years in the business that I do, and um, my wife prevailed upon me to go and try to get some help um, just from the pain um, sometimes. And so went to professional massage therapist, and um, I can tell you it was intense. It, it, was, it, was, it wasn't soothing, um, not, not at the beginning. Uh, she had uh, all kinds of, it was intense. <laughs> I don't know a thumb could stick so far into your body and hurt so much. Um, but she worked me hard, and she was doing all kinds of things that, Made me hurt, and even up on my back, pulling my arms back like this, ah! She's she's watching my face to see how much it hurts. 
But, you know, by the end, it felt really good. And, and honestly, it was the first time that I can remember in a number of years where I could actually lay on my stomach and my shoulders didn't hurt me. And um, so I was ready to come back for more. And I actually made another appointment to go back because uh, it was helpful. So I'm hoping that by the end of this, we'll get to that place where you're like, oh, that was good. Okay. So James, has, he has some thumbs. And he pushes them in spots where like, it's like, that's not where that belongs. But it releases pain and um, it actually ends up being therapeutic at the end of the day. How many are good with that? That's where the word of God is. Sometimes it works us over and um, sometimes we, we need that. So this passage is like that. I want to read um, verses 1 through 12 of chapter 3 and then go back through. This, this, is, a, this is a weighty passage. Um, we're all somewhat familiar with it. But um, I think it needs to get more familiar probably with some of us. Verse 1, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Um, That puts fear in me. Because we're going to be held accountable for what we say, and particularly if you're teaching the word of God, that we're accurately representing and speaking what the Lord says. That's just as plain as day. Is that, is that true or not true? If that's true and you're teaching the word of God, that means when you stand before Jesus, he's going to have a higher bar for you to go. Like, what were you saying? Um, it's important. That's why Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, Take careful heed to yourself and to your teaching, for in doing so, you will not only save yourself, but those who hear you. Like, that's serious business. The teaching of the word has eternal Implications. So I, I feel that, and I'm not going to dwell there too much. Verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. Can you say amen? If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Now, the word perfect in the New Testament um, doesn't really mean perfect in the sense that we say that there's absolutely no flaw to it. There's nothing wrong. There's never a mistake. It means come to full maturity. It means come to the destiny for which we were created. So part of our maturity, notice the connection here because this is important. The connection between what he's saying in this passage and our spiritual maturity, they're locked together. So what he's going to say about the tongue and our spiritual maturity, no matter what we say, if our tongue does not give the evidence of what he's about to say here, spiritual maturity, then we're not spiritually mature. How many follow what I just said? Okay, he's looking for evidence. Remember in chapter 2, he's going, don't, don't just say you have faith. If, you, if your life doesn't show it, it's not real. Okay, so now he's getting into maturity, and, and he's talking about controlling our tongue, and there is a connection there between spiritual maturity and controlling our tongue. All right, everybody put your tongue out. Go, ah. Do you know why the doctor asked you to put your tongue out? I mean, that maybe this is more old school. I can remember when I moved to North Carolina and our, from, from New York, and our doctor was like 80 years old, and he scared me every time I went in there. I just remember when he would give a shot, his hand would shake like this. You know, he had that kind of shake. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Mom, you make us go to this guy like it's scary. Like, Get your nurse, dude. Get your nurse. But he'd have us put our tongue out. Let me see your tongue. Let me see your tongue. What's wrong with my tongue? 
The reason that they do that, do you know there's actually medical reasons there? Because your tongue can show all kinds of things. It can show if you have a virus, sometimes you have a fungus. I've had fungus on my tongue when I was bombarded with antibiotics when I was in the hospital for 10 straight days with IV antibiotics. My tongue was white. It's fungus because all the good bacteria was dead from the antibiotics. It shows lots of things. It can show serious diseases. It can actually show forms of cancer by them looking at your tongue. So your tongue matters. Jesus says to us in this passage, show me your tongue. I want to see it. Because it is an indicator of our spiritual health and our spiritual maturity. Okay, follow what I'm saying? Everybody with me, say amen. Okay, it's an indicator of our spiritual health. I said that there's going to be pressure points here. How many are okay with thumbs in your side and in your muscles? All right, here we go. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they're still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. What's the point so far of what he said? The tongue's a small member, but what does it do? It carries great power. You follow me? It carries great power. The rudder of a ship steers ships that weigh millions of tons, but it steers them, okay? The bit in a horse's mouth weighs hardly anything compared to the weight of the horse, but it controls it, okay? Our tongue gives direction, and it's powerful. It's disproportionately powerful compared to the size of what it is. And he, here's, here's what I know, okay? Here's what I know. I know we've all read this passage. You're like, yeah, 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 blah, 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 blah. Here, here's what I know. We don't live most often in the consciousness of how powerful and how important in the sight of God the words that we speak are. We're very glib. You know, you know how I know that? Because I read Christian blogs. And I want to cry and I want to cover my face in shame and I want to go, what in the world is going on here? The way Christians respond online is horrendous. Certainly doesn't speak of the Spirit of Christ, and there's a problem there. See, I think the Lord uses uh, the, the Internet and online um, social media to reveal the heart in a lot of ways because when you don't have to look at somebody in the eye and worry about them slapping you, you'll say whatever's on your heart with no filter because there's not going to be any recourse. And that shows what's really connected to your heart. What you say when you feel like there's not going to be any accountability. Say there's, there's, there's no restraint. There's no breaks. And so you just say it. And um, I'm, I'm saying I would make a plea for believers to actually speak like they represent Christ. It's crazy what's going on out there. I know I'm an old fogey and all that stuff. Like, it's just, we're talking about Christ here. We're talking about representing the Lord Jesus Christ in what we say. So there's, there's definitely uh, tongue issues in, in the body of Christ, huge ones. Um, verse 6, the tongue, now, now he's going to get into this uh, devastating um, critique of, of the tongue and of its negative power. 
The tongue is a fire. It's a fire. How many pyromaniacs in here? How many played with fire and caught things on fire? Anybody burned down a building? Fields? Okay. I used to, I ran in circles with guys that were pretty much pyros, but I had a little bit of sense where I didn't burn things down. But I had friends that did. We were out one time, I will never forget, this little fella. I was out there with a couple of friends of mine and this little fella. It's windy, it's a windy day, and it's been dry, and he's out there starting lighting matches and starting to light this tall grass on fire. We said, dude, don't light that. Don't light that. Ah, I'm going to light it. Dude, don't light that. He's like, nah, I'm going to light it. He lights it on fire, and it, I mean, it was whoosh. We said, see you later, man. Have fun putting it up. Oh, please don't go. I mean, we barely got it out with five of us rolling logs. I mean, we barely got it. I almost burned the whole neighborhood down. I'm not kidding. That same boy, probably two months later, burned down an entire cornfield in, that, in our town. He's playing with it on there. He didn't have anybody help him then. Do, do you see what James says about words? Like, there is potential there for great destruction. Here's James in the face going, dude, your tongue is like a fire. You can't just throw words out there and think, ah, oh, it's no big deal. It's just like throwing lit matches in a tall field of grass. It, it is a big deal. You know, it, it's kind of interesting with James. He hardly gives any of the positive aspects of what the tongue's for. He's going hard after. Look, he, look he's got both of his thumbs in your side right now. He's going, it's a fire. It'll burn things down. We, like, we don't believe it. The casual way that we speak words so often as believers, I don't think that we necessarily believe what he's saying here. But we're going to get to that. It's a very world, notice this, it's a fire. It's a very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among the members as that which defiles or stains the entire body. So many commentators believe there's a double reference there, not just to our human body, but also to the church body. How many have ever known church splits caused by? Anybody? That's how they all start. That's how they all start. There's not enough relationship to actually go and do what the Bible says and go to somebody. <laughs> if we would follow the scripture, how good it would be, wouldn't it? But here's what happens. Me to you to you to you, and we're all like tall grass in a field, and the fire spreads in flames. Instead of having relationship enough with one another and love enough with one another to do what the Bible says, and if you have an offense against your brother, go to him in a spirit of meekness and gentleness. Resolve the offense. Look them in the eye. Look them in the eye. Can you help me understand? Or please forgive me. Or forgive me for the things that I've said against you and gossiped against you. It's like a fire in a field. How many liked your massage so far? It's a very world of iniquity set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. What, what, what does that say? The word, the word hell there is the word Gehenna, which is the most common word for hell. Jesus used it every time in the New Testament except for right here when his half-brother James used it. 
Gehenna is a valley in the south of Jerusalem that they used as a garbage dump. They dumped dead carcasses there. They dumped all their garbage there. And then they burnt it there. That's why Jesus uses the phraseology that hell is like Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, because it's like a garbage dump where the worm never dies. Can you imagine a huge um, dump where all the carcasses, all the garbage, what would you have there? You'd have maggots galore. You'd have all kinds of insects. You'd have decay. You'd have stench. And then they burned their stuff there, too. And the fire burned so much it never went out. There was always smoke and fire. Jesus said that's a picture of eternal torment. It's not nice. But that comes to mean, just like when we say um, heaven is a representation of God or the throne of God, hell, Gehenna, very often is a representation of Satan and of his power. And so when he says it's set on fire by hell, who, who desires to use your tongue? Who desires to use your tongue? Hey, can, can anybody in here be honest enough to say that there's been times in your life where the devil spoke through you? He, he spoke through you. What happened with Peter? We know that, right? Lord, it'll never happen to you. And Jesus, the Bible says, in Matthew 16, looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Wow. I believe the Lord has said that to me before. Anybody? Okay. Feel the thumbs. We're going we're gonna to get to the good part at the end where she puts the hot rocks and the oil on the back. And right there. Then that feels good. That's when you sign up for the next one, okay? <laughs> All right, here we go. Every species of beasts and of birds and of reptiles, creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one, verse 8, say no one. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of What? Deadly poison. Wow. Well, thank you, James, for this edifying talk about the power of our tongue. Praise the Lord. It's like a fire. It's like that which stains and defiles. It's deadly poison. Dude, you're just so edifying. Why? Can I say it matters more than we think? Its power to destroy is stronger than we think. And our glib words sometimes are destructive this is the point of this passage i mean I, like i'm not making this up like this is what the holy spirit actually said because he wants us to get the feel for the power of what we're talking about you see both god and the enemy want to have control of the weapon that is so powerful you agree both god and the enemy would like to have control of the weapon that is so powerful would you agree if you've ever done any marital counseling, you know that the devil has used the tongues of both of those folks many times on each other and a lot of times in the counseling session itself. He'll be there talking. You're like, wait, 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 wait. No man can tame it, okay? That's not, it's not hopeless. Can I just... Let, let, let's just get this groundwork laid, and then we're going to get into s something that I want to get into. Is this hopeless? 
Is it, why is it not hopeless? No man, he, here's what I want to say. Okay, please hear me, Christian. Please hear me. You in your own natural self-control and strength can't control your tongue. It's not possible. Okay, until we get to that point, our tongue will never be controlled. Until we go, God, I can't control this tongue. You have to come and help me. You have to be the one that speaks through me. You have to be the one that bridles this tongue so that I speak words that are not going to start a fire, not be deadly poison, not defile the body, but bring life. The tongue of the wise is a tree of what? Life. Here's what happens because we speak so many words in a day is that we become so familiar that we become careless with the words that we say. And this passage is trying to help us to realize you can't be careless with that kind of firepower. You can't be careless. It's like giving a little kid a submachine gun to walk around the house. You, you, you don't do that. You have to be careful and use it for what it's intended to be used for. With it, verse 9, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Blessing and cursing. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, do you see who he's addressing here? My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? No, nor can salt water produce fresh. Here's James's assessment. How many feel like that was pretty blunt? How many, how many feel like that was pretty negative presentation? Okay. Here, here's what my daddy taught me when I got my first pellet rifle. And I took it out. He said, now, son, you can be careful with that. Here's, here's all the rules. First thing I did when I took it out in the yard, I sat there and I'm looking at that thing. How many have ever gotten a gun? Okay, for... And I'm like, my dad's over here in the yard looking somewhere else. And I'm like, pop. He's like, what did you just do? I, I just shot at the base of the tree. Did you see what was behind that? The neighbor's car. Like, I was like. Mm. He said, give me the gun. Give me the gun. Put the gun in the closet. Next week we'll try it again. Because right now, you don't have any um, sense of the damage that that can do. You have to be careful so that nobody gets hurt. Put your tongue out. Let me see it. You have to be careful so nobody gets hurt. Yeah. Do, do you know the characteristic? Um, this is David in Psalm 12. I'm going to read this. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be, for the faithful disappear from the sons of men. They speak. This is, this is the characteristic of culture without God, okay? This is David. They speak falsehood to one another with flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all the flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things, who have said, with our tongue we will prevail and our lips are our, our own. Listen. 
This is what David said that the unbelievers say. With our lips we will prevail. With our tongue we will prevail. And our lips are our own. Who will be Lord over us? We're going to say whatever the heck we want to say. That's David saying, that's the way those who don't know the Lord are. And I want to put in um, Matthew chapter 12 where Jesus spoke about the tongue real quick. Um, this is all foundational. Um, this is important stuff. This is Jesus in Matthew 12 verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you being evil speak what is good? He didn't say do what is good. He said speak what is good. For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings forth out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings forth out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every idle word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. How many believe that's true? Do you, do you know what the word idle means? The word idle or careless, here's what it means in the Greek. This is very profound. Not working. Every word that we speak that's not working a purpose that God wants it to work, we're going to give account for in the day. Do, do you believe Jesus exaggerated? Do you think that there's a serious business what we do with our words and with our mouths? At the end of the day, there's eternal consequences. For by your words, listen, you will be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty powerful. How many, like, do we think when we speak um, there's eternal consequences? with what we say. Our heart is connected to our what? Heart's connected to our tongue. Did Jesus just say that? Out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so our heart and our tongue are connected. Our words are meant to accomplish things that God wants accomplished, and there is eternal accountability. Do you, do you know Proverbs 4.23? Anybody know that verse? Anybody know it? Guard your heart with, for out of it, flow the issues of life and what does the next verse say turn away your mouth from speaking lies and crookedness here's what I want to say part of guarding our heart is guarding our tongue they are connected they're connected I've been thinking a lot just about this and in my own life saying, God, give me a deeper um, realization of my words and what they mean and what they mean to you. Obviously, my words mean more to God than they do to me. Because of the way that I live, I would say that that's true. I don't know if you can say that as well. But obviously, they're important to him. And so I'm pondering this, and I'm thinking about, I've been reading in Isaiah. You know, Isaiah chapter Five Isaiah is an amazing book, so much in there. Chapter 5 of Isaiah, Isaiah gives a parable of the vineyard. And he's talking about Israel, and he says, or Judah, 
God planted this vineyard. He fertilized it. He did everything good for the vine. He had the wall built around it. He pruned it when it needed to be, and I, but it would, it would never bear fruit. He could never get fruit from it. And so then Isaiah launches into this whole um, deal about, he gives in chapter 5, six woes, W-O-E. How many know what woe means in, in the Bible? Anybody? Let me, let me just read this to you because it's pretty powerful. This literary device, woe, derives from funeral possessions and often signifies the sense that the object of the woe is as good as dead. Language expresses the stunned silence felt in the presence of a major disaster or death. Do, do you, anybody here remember where you were on 9-11 when the Twin Towers fell? Do you remember where you were? Yeah, there's, there's a couple of things like that. I was working on a job in Mulberry, and a guy came running out of his house. We're doing landscaping. He came running out of his house. There's been an attack on the Twin Towers. The World Trade Center's collapsed. And we're all like, what? We all just stood there and like, what just happened? I remember where I was years ago in the late 1980s. <laughs> Some of you were just little then when the, sh the space shuttle blew up on liftoff. We were looking up in the sky, and it went up there, and it just went. <laughs> Didn't really know what happened. Guy came running out of his house again. I was in Newport Ritchie. The space shuttle's blown up. It's gone. Everybody's dead. And we're, I mean, just those of us out there were just like, what, what do you say in the face of that? that that's, that's kind of the force of, of woe. And so when Isaiah's announcing these woes uh, on Judah because judgment is going to come, he announces the six woes, and you think it should be seven. And then this is what struck me when I was pondering and reading this because there actually is a seventh woe, which is really the first one, and you know where I'm going with this. But let me just read Isaiah chapter 6 to you because in chapter 5, Isaiah has just talked about the six woes that are coming, destructions coming upon Judah because of their disobedience to the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. You, you just have to get a picture of this beyond the nursery school and Sunday school picture. This is a massive temple. God is sitting on this massive throne. Isaiah is overwhelmed, and the, the splendor of his clothing is so massive that the train just wraps around and fills the whole thing. Um, overwhelming. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, this is how Isaiah began his ministry. You know why he was qualified to say the woes to Judah? Because the first woe that he said was to himself. He was processed. He, in Isaiah 6, we say Isaiah had an encounter with the holiness of God. But what had an encounter with the holiness of God was his tongue. Because his consciousness was when he was in the presence of God. My God, what have I been saying? This is one of the most holy men in all of Israel. 
He's a statesman that prophesied to four different kings. got into the presence of God, what was the first thing that struck him? I'm ruined. When he says, woe is me, for I'm ruined, several translations said, I'm a dead man. I'm dead. I'm dead! <laughs> if, if we could have an encounter with the holiness of God, if we could have an encounter with the holiness of God in our churches, I mean, my heart longs for this. I'll be the first one to bite the carpet. Like, we don't have this. Because overall, we want everything to be happy, 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 light, which I'm good with happy, and I'm good with joyful. But I want to see him like this. And I want everything in me that's not straight to get straight. I want it to happen now. I don't want it to happen when I stand before him. When I take my last breath, I want it to happen now. I want to see him. I want my tongue to be encountered. And I want the holiness of God to so shine light on my life that all the darkness gets exposed because I know that his heart for me is not to destroy me, but to redeem me and to cleanse me. But if we shy away from those kind of encounters with the Lord, I think... We disqualify ourselves to some degree to speak everything that he wants us to speak. The first woe that happened in Isaiah's ministry was himself calling it on himself. Oh my God, I, I'm, I'm unclean. My tongue. Here's the prophet. God's getting ready to call him to speak his word to the nation. And he's not qualified because his tongue is defiled and the whole nation this was a holy man. I'm just saying, I think that there's something here in this encounter that we would be good to experience even a taste of it would be awesome. I, I have such a, I can't tell you how deep the longing in my heart is for the holiness of God and his reality to, to return to the church. God's good. I don't understand the Lord and his ways, but I do know this, that he'll let us have what we want. And if we limit him, saying, God, you can come if you're good. You can come if you're happy. You can come if you're in blessing. You can come if you're in healing. But that's where we draw the line. Y you know what I know about the Lord? Is that for the most part, he'll just let us set those parameters and boundaries and he won't cross them. I don't know why. Sometimes he crosses them, but ra rarely. He'll let us have what we want. And, and I think if we don't invite him to come in all of his fullness, we're probably not going to. I don't know. I don't know why the Lord does that. To me, it's incredible humility on his part for us to say, God, we want, you, we want these five parts of you, but we don't want the others. And he'll still come and bless people. I, I find that incredible humility on God's part. But that is the way that he operates very often and most often. Here's, here's what I want to say. I want him to come in his holiness. I, I, I do. I want that in my life. I want that in the church body. I, I want that. Well, we want revival like the book of Acts. 
And the first thing to happen was when there were liars in the midst, they fell dead. They fell dead. No, God, we don't want, no, we don't want Ananias to fire. No, we don't want that. We want the miracles of this chapter. We want the preaching of the gospel in Acts chapter 2. We want the tongues. Like we, we don't want you to come like that. Like, don't come like that. And, and I'm just saying, I just want you, Lord. I just want you. I want you. I want the whole package. I don't want to try to limit you. I don't want to say you can't come this way or can't come that way. I just want you to come. I want my tongue. See, I'm, 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 I'm being massaged over by this passage too. Like I get all of the times that I've spoken foolishly and said things, and I try to repent of them if I can catch them, and I repent to the Lord. God, that was so stupid. Please forgive me. But you know what? I want my tongue. With, with the scriptures that we've read and the power that it holds, I want my tongue to be encountered by the holiness of God. Woe is me. I'm a dead man because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he'd taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my what? He touched my mouth. And he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard, then, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. <laughs> then his call is this. Isaiah didn't, no, none of the prophets of the Old Testament had a fluffy, wuffy calling. You know that, right? Everybody's going to love you. You're just such a good speaker. No, the ones who were good speakers, God said to Ezekiel, Son of man, they listen to you like somebody singing a sweet song to them and entertaining them, but they don't do a single thing you say. That's, that's, that's what Ezekiel got. He was eloquent, but they, he, the Lord told them they're not doing one thing you say. Isaiah, here's your call. You're going to be preaching to those who are deaf and willingly blind, and they're not going to listen or repent or receive anything you say. Now go. Called to be a prophet, Lord. You know, part of the, part of the, the cleansing that Isaiah had to have on his tongue, he had to get flattery burned out of his mouth. He had to get the speaking of words that were the fear of man, wanting to get the approval of man out of his mouth and just speak the pure word of the Lord. I want to tell you something. These weren't hard-hearted, religious, stiff, stodgy people who just had a bad day every single day. They don't think they didn't feel it when they had to stand up and say, Whoa! Oh, whoa! You don't listen to what the Lord says. It's coming on you. You, you. you think that they like doing that? No. But his tongue was purified that I'm only going to speak what the Lord gives me to speak. I'm only going to say what he wants me to say. I'm not going to, you know, one of, the, one of the accusations against the false prophets was they took each other's words and repeated them. Parrot. That, that's, that's not the true prophets. They're saying what the Lord gives them to say. 
So I'm not saying everybody in this room is called to be a prophet, but I'm saying we all have something to speak. We all have words to say. The Lord wants our tongue to be purified to speak words of life. God, encounter. Encounter my tongue with your holiness. Can anybody, anybody with me on that? Like, do, do you want that? Would you want for the Lord to encounter your tongue with his holy fire and purify the stupid, boastful, arrogant, self-promoting garbage that we speak out of our mouth, the hurtful things, the careless things, the things that miss the point of why the Lord brought us into connection with that person. We miss the point because we're so stuck on ourselves instead of seeing what the Lord wants us to speak to them himself. All of those things, this is not a beat down. This is a good massage. This is a massage. Okay, it hurts good. That's what my mom used to say about a good massage. It hurts so good. This is James. This is the Holy Spirit speaking. Like, he's not playing. How many know he's just not, you know, the Bible's not um, over the top exaggeration. It's plain truth and fact. So how... How do we do this? So I, what I want to do here in um, closing is I want to go through some verses, and this is what I call James's top ten for how to ways to tame the tongue. These are all out of the book of James. Did you know that by, and by a long shot, the number one topic that James deals with in this book is our tongue? By a long shot. If you just take verses, long shot. Oh, yeah, but I got that, right? Isaiah had it until he saw it compared to God's holiness and purpose. And I just pray, you know, um, we, we have a problem in the church world. We all deal with it, and that is familiarity where we hear something that we've read maybe multiple times, maybe 20 or 100 times. Say, this passage of Scripture, I bet you I've read it 150 times. And then I become numb to it. And I think because I read it that I know it and that it's part of my life. And that's, that's, that's what we all deal with in the church world. The longer we've studied the Bible, the longer we've heard preaching and all of that, we, we can become numb to it. And the Lord wants to awaken us with a big woe sometimes. And just go, hey, wake up. Wake up. Look in the mirror. Is this you or not? It's a good massage. Here's James, okay? I'm going to go through James's top ten. Here's ways that he helps us to think about taming our tongue. Are you ready for a top ten? Anybody, you ready? Okay, you guys with me? All right, here we go. Chapter 1, verse 19. I'm just going to run through the book and pull out some verses where he talks about things that I think are helpful in taming our tongue. Verse 19 of chapter 1. This you know, my beloved brethren, everyone must be quick to hear and slow to speak. Everybody look. Breaks. Breaks. He wants us to be slow to speak. What does that mean? That means we ponder before we speak. You know, the Holy Spirit, how many have ever experienced the Holy Spirit's breaks? 
in your heart. Like you're getting ready. You had that perfect comeback. I mean, how many of you are, how many are sarcastic in, in your soul? Like in you, you, it's just too good not to say it. Like you just hate to waste that. It's so good. And then you can say, oh, I didn't mean it. It was really so. And the Holy Spirit, no, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Come on, anybody? Oh, I've had that happen a lot, especially with customers that are snarky. Oh, man. It's like, hmm. <laughs> Slow to speak. Breaks. See, in our own flesh, our breaks are like the Flintstones. We're, we're breaking with our feet. Or we gotta, you, might, you, you guys ever had go-karts when you were kids and, and you had a stick with a nail through it and that, that was your brake on the... Like that. That's not good. Holy Spirit's got four-wheel disc. If we'll listen to him, he can go boom. Don't do that. But we have to get in the habit before we speak of checking inside to see if he's saying, no, no. No, no. Don't say it. Don't say that to your wife. Don't say that to your husband. Don't say that to your children. Don't say it. No. Okay, slow to speak. Chapter 2, verse 12. This is James's top 10. Number 2. 2, verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. So I'm saying number 2 is Keep eternity in mind. While we're being slow to speak, let's think about eternity before we speak something. Right? Let, here's Ephesians 4.29. Do you guys know it? You should memorize this. This is a good one. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. That word means unhealthy. Do you know there's words that come out of our mouth that are healthy and some that are not healthy? Get, get it? Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, that it may give grace to the hearers according to the need of the moment. That's Ephesians 4.29. All right, number three. This is chapter 3 and verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. So, this is what I'm saying out of that verse. Speak only what is honest and true. Can, can anybody here say um, that when you tell a story, sometimes you embellish it to make yourself look better? Anybody? Praise God, everybody in here is perfect. This is awesome. Can anybody confess that? Can anybody confess that? That you embellish details of stories sometimes to make yourself look better? Okay. Absolutely. What's at the root of that? Pride. I'm boasting. I want people to think more highly of myself. You, you, you know, in, in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 5, if you want to look that up sometime, it's talking about the beast. And it says that he w there was given to him a mouth speaking great things. Arrogant. The heart of the voice of the enemy is that it's arrogant and it's self-promoting. Number four, this is chapter four and verse one. 
What is the source of your quarrels and the conflicts among you? It is not the source of your pleasures that wage war on your members. And so I'm going to say, don't quarrel. Quarreling, do, do you know, Paul said, well, we won't go into these details, and we're just about ready to finish. But quarreling, arguing, always arguing about that. When somebody's constantly argumentative about everything and they have to be the contrarian about everything, there's something wrong with their heart. There's something wrong with their heart. Paul said he called that a factious man, a quarrelsome man. He goes, warn him a couple times and then cut him off. Don't, don't do it anymore. There's something wrong with the heart. There's, an, there's a pride and a, um, you, you know, the Bible says over and over and over again, don't be wise in your own eyes. There, that's what's behind the quarrelsome spirit. Think they're, they're smarter than everybody else in the room. Um, don't quarrel. Chapter 4, verse 11. Do not speak against one another, brethren. That's pretty straightforward. Don't speak against one another. Don't speak against one another. How many know the biblical way to resolve conflict is not to go to your other friend and go, dude, do you believe what they just did to me or what they said? Like, there's, there's something wrong with them there. Do, do, do you know what I'm doing now? This is not the biblical way to resolve conflict. How many, how many know that? Okay, so in practice, that's very often what happens. They don't, don't do that. It matters to the Lord. Number six, verse 13 of chapter four. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go and do such and such a city and spend the year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Do you, do you know what the spirit behind this exhortation with what we say is? We're going to make our plans and we're going to do what we want to do. No, we are dependent upon the Lord every second for our breath. Do you know? I mean, do you really feel in your gut? If the Lord took his hand off of you, you would lose everything in one second. Everything. You'd be gone like a smoke. That's the truth. Our breath, and we sing that song, it's your breath in our lungs, that's no joke. That's no joke. Like, to think that we're the master and we're going to plan things out and do this or that, that, this is the thing that I have against, <laughs> I shouldn't rant like this, this is the thing that it troubles me so often about um, the humanism that gets into um, Christianity sometimes. You can do everything, you can do whatever you want, you can be whatever you want and all that. It's just not true. It's not what we want. It's not our dream. It's not our vision unless it comes from the Lord. We just better make sure. If he puts something in us, then we can do it because his grace will be there. Okay, won't get off on that. Here we go. Number seven, verse 15. I just read it. Um, recognize your total dependence on God every second for everything. Chapter five, verse nine. Do not complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. How many like James's sensitivity? If you do that, you're going to be judged, he said, right? If you do that, you're going to be judged. I just wonder if we believe it or not. Verse um, 9, we read verse 12 of chapter 5. Above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any oath, but your yes is to be yes, your no is no, so that you may not fall under judgment. You see that twice? He's talking about what we say. What is the point of verse 12? 
Speak with integrity. When you say something, mean it and do it. Okay? This is what honors the Lord. And then chapter 5 and verse 16, you know this verse. I'm looking forward to getting to this chapter. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. What is the point of that in the way that we speak? Let's speak with humility and transparency. These are, these are top ten. Like, I get that this isn't hugely shouting kind of sermon. We're talking about revival, 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 revival. It's, it's, it's not that. It's God. You know what the Lord says? If, if you want to be my spokesman and get out there and cause things to happen, let me see your tongue. Let me, let me see it. Let me see it. Oh, no, Lord, I'm ready to go out there. I'm going to pray. Let, let me see your tongue. Put it out. He'll hold that mirror and he'll go, look. Look. You see that? Like You're going to go out and speak for me and win the thousands and the millions and blah, blah, blah. Let me see your tongue. Dr. Jesus. I'll heal it. But don't, don't think that he's going to overlook it. Look, with, with the verses that we just read, with the verses of eternity and the verses of judgment that James said multiple times here, like, I didn't make this up. Like, this guy's way more blunt. He's John the Baptist style. He's Amos style. He's rough as a corn cob. He's coming after you like Amos said, you fat cows of Bashan, lay around on your couches all day, eating your chocolate-covered cherries. You're going to go into judgment and exile with a hook in your nose. Wow. He said, it don't matter. I don't have to earn money off of this. I'm a farmer, so just fire me. Lord, is that all you wanted me to say? Come on. The Lord's not always, we live in a culture that we're ultra sensitive, like hypersensitive to everything. And like the Lord is just not that way. Now he's not mean, but he's not hypersensitive and he doesn't cater to our hypersensitive self-absorption. He really doesn't. Can I, can I say that lovingly? That's true. That's what it is. Everybody's so hypersensitive. It's because we're self-absorbed. And we need to just say, Lord, take the coal, give me Amos, give me James, give me John the Baptist. I just want to be like Jesus. I just want to be in a position where you could actually use me to say something that would be helpful and have eternity in it. Let me see your tongue. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the word of the Lord to his church. Let me see your tongue. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you. God, I'm so thankful that you speak the truth to us clearly because you love us. I'm so thankful for your great heart of redemption that you see the flaws and the faults inside of every one of our lives. And Lord, as these verses say, we've all stumbled multiple times. But your heart is that everything would be 
brought into right alignment. I pray, Lord, that the, the true and the pure fear of the Lord would grip our hearts in a deeper and a better way. That we truly would have our tongues and our mouth touched by the coal of the fire of heaven so that our lips, our tongue, our mouth would glorify you in the way that we speak to you, to each other. Lord, would you change us? Would you change us? Would you let the reality of what these verses teach, would you let that become reality in our lives and not let us be content anymore to not have the reality in our lives? I pray that you would encounter us. I pray that you would encounter us, that you would remind us, Holy Spirit, that you would be the breaks inside of us, that you would teach us how to so live and how to so speak in a way that represents you and honors you and blesses your name. And Lord, I pray that you would use every person in this room to speak forth the beauty and the truth and the power of the gospel and to speak forth words of edification and our tree of life and to speak forth plain truth that sets captives free, even if it's uncomfortable or awkward. But Lord, that you would use us and that our tongues would not belie our confession of our love for you, but that they would confirm it. Holy Spirit, we know that no man can do this, and so we recognize from Jump Street that we are dependent upon you, and we're just asking you to come in a deeper way. Lord, we need deeper conviction about this. We don't have enough conviction because we're surrounded by a world that is so glib and so careless in the way that they speak. We think it's okay with us if we don't cuss all day long. But, Father, you want more, and I pray that you would help us let our tongues be the tree of life that you've intended. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Bless you guys.